Hello friends, how's it going? My name is Matt Barr, you listen to episode 105 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports podcast. It's the show where I explore the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thanks for listening. Second part of my Portland omnibus, this one, recorded in late November 2019. I headed over there for a week with my friend Owen Tozer. Spent a bit of time around the city in Oregon and recorded seven episodes of the podcast. This is the second of that trip. It's with John Rattray, one of the UK's most legendary and certainly best loved skateboarders. John's one of those brilliant UK success stories that seem to mirror the expansion of UK skateboarding as a whole, really. Something we've talked about a lot on the podcast during the episodes about UK skateboarding. And it's kind of difficult to remember now, but back in the late 80s, nearly 90s, it was really, really unusual for UK skateboarders to make it in the States. I mean, you had the outliers, notably people like Steve Douglas and Bod Boyle. They were followed by people like Jeff Rowley and Tom Penny. But that, you know, it's still a rarity at that point. So when Rattray and his peers came along as part of the next wave of UK skaters to make it in the States, the whole of UK skateboarding cheered them on as uh, one of our own, really. It also helped that John came up skating such a quintessentially dirtbag location as the east coast of Scotland, all rough edges and shit surfaces. Literally and figuratively, it's a very, very long way from where John grew up skateboarding to Southern California. So when he did make the leap, scoring the iconic 4-1-1 part and getting on the international team of zero at the specific request of Jamie Thomas, I think it's fair to say that British skateboarding's collective bosom swelled with pride, really. Today, John lives in Portland with his family. He's working at Nike. He's still killing it, as anyone who follows him on Instagram will have uh, seen. And in recent years, he's been raising awareness about issues that have become more and more prominent in skateboarding and action sports generally, really, in recent years. Uh, the topics of depression, mental health and suicide. Now, there are issues that John's been affected by personally, as he explained to me during our conversation and he's as he's on record as talking about you know in other areas and over the last few years he's been using his Instagram to try and lead a conversation around these topics and explore ways in which the skateboarding community can help each other cope with what are becoming increasingly prevalent issues most notably this year with uh, Ben Ramers of course very sadly so I went to visit John and his family at the end of our Portland trip and we had a very very open honest funny because he's a funny fucker I'll say that much occasionally sad but ultimately life-affirming conversation about these topics as you're going to hear John spent a considerable amount of time trying to understand his own circumstances and the things that have led him to the points the lowest points of his own life and then he's also tried to take lessons from those understand it and communicate these lessons to others in the hope it'll help break some of the taboos that inevitably surround any conversation about these topics. So yeah, there's a lot of levels to this one and I want to thank John for trusting me to have this conversation and for approaching our chat so openly and honestly. I also want to give you the heads up that we do talk very openly and explicitly about issues that could be upsetting and triggering for some listeners, so please be aware of that. Um, I'm going to include some links at the end in the show notes which um, give you further areas to explore if you have been affected or you are generally being affected. Um, it's not an original observation to use a phrase such as fearsomely intelligent when describing John but it is true and his quest in erudite approach to this whole issue is really unique and valuable and generous I think it's fair to say. I sure learned a lot from our conversation and I hope you do too. I'll be back at the end but in the meantime here's me and John Rattray. Enjoy. it's like two years since we I was last in Portland two years ago and me and John hung out a little bit went for a Mexican I believe a couple of beers bloody hell that went quick yeah you been all right yeah still living still living that's good yeah and you just been away right uh yeah you were doing traveling the, the pat we doing the pa- a panel I was in Vancouver and we did a panel called um what was that an event called all aboard which was a local little uh, skate event in Vancouver okay Organized by the Vancouver Skate Coalition, um, which Michelle from Antisocial sits on. Right. It was pretty cool. Um, there was a panel called Switch that was organized by New Line Skate Parks. Yeah. 
um, and Everett that uh, works for them kind of put it together and him and a girl called Rosie from Vancouver they moderated the panel okay and so there's a few of us talking about various subjects from like or uh, initiatives that some skates that skateboarders have been getting after that I don't know what you call it like social impact projects yeah right it's quite explicitly about mental health and suicide and skateboarding right my one is that was what I was getting after um, so I was talking about this the, this year's campaign the why so sad campaign yeah um, and then there was Joel, who was sitting next to me. He works at a place called Hull Services and uh, is a youth worker and does work that, or does uh, therapeutic work with kids that have experienced trauma. Okay, so there's like um, lots of different. Um, yeah, and then Kristen from Skate Like a Girl was there, and her whole program is about um, youth work and making inclusive spaces for girls and like uh, gender non-conforming people to have a a safe place to skate um and then there was jonah who does the same thing he runs queer skate vancouver um for the same reason to kind of try and overcome the homophobia that still yeah persists in skating like the kind of sort of very traditional kind of white male focus yeah, yeah. of and mainstream so, skate culture exactly if, you like. if you're yeah. white male that's skater then great it seems very inclusive and welcoming as a yeah. culture but if you're not that then <laughs> yeah. i don't know what the problem actually, is <laughs> yeah well it's totally inclusive yeah, yeah i don't see any problem as a white as exactly. a white man it's always been fine so yeah. that was really interesting to hear from him and then uh joe buffalo is a first nations skater um who was talking about just the systemic racism that his people have had to deal with over the years Right in Canada specifically, but I mean that uh, exists in the United States as well. So it was just super rad and interesting to hear from everyone and have those conversations. That yeah, there's a lot more of those conversations being facilitated in skateboarding right now, isn't there? Because yeah, it does seem that way. I'm you're you're stoked. pushing borders as well, right? Which is, I went to in London last year and did a couple of these interviews there, and I thought it was great. I thought I thought it was a really interesting thing that they were trying to do, and. Yeah, like a really, really interesting sort of like a different dialogue and narrative in skateboarding generally, and 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 it was also just like you know really thought provoking the, the discussions. You were on a panel for that, right, this year? Yeah, I was. I was on not so much a panel. There was myself and uh, Madeline uh, opened the conference just with personal stories about what we've been getting after and what we've experienced, um, specifically around the subject of mental health, um, and obviously skateboarding is a common thread because we're all skaters yeah so how was the event was it good event was amazing i'm so impressed by what those that crowd uh, pulls together um kind of getting something alert <laughs> it uh oops yeah hopefully they managed to keep it going i know it's all voluntary run um and they fundraise a bit and managed to pull it together but i feel like it's really it's important to keep that stuff going what else was being discussed at that event uh, let me think. The day I was there after me, there was, God, it was, it's a while back now. And a few things have, there's a bit of water under the bridge, but there was a panel of people talking about, it was essentially, um, academics that are doing research projects that have this sub that are based on skateboarding and their kind of struggles with the academic world and, their uh, reasons for doing that and the sort of backstory of what their thesis theses theses I think theses. I think the plural would be theses yeah yeah um yeah that was then, super interesting <clears throat> I know there was stuff about like um that honestly I can't remember well there's right like a mis I think there was misrepresentation or like representation in media debate wasn't there as well and you know like yeah how... that was the second day though I was only there for the one day oh you were okay. yeah there was um yeah stuff about media stuff about um i think skater owned versus corporate owned in skateboarding that i missed that one too thankfully um thankfully <laughs> yeah i'm kind of <laughs> done with that subject yeah um and then uh i can't remember what the other ones were i'm sure that will come to us as yeah. we speak yeah yeah 
Um, but yeah, like you say, positive thing. Like good. That the these... whole thing, yeah, really good. I wanted to keep going every year and more of it. It's actually when we were in Vancouver, Kristen had a good point. She was like, why don't they just make it kind of like the TED model where it's just the platform and any group wherever can it can move around can have a, a mini pushing borders you know? yeah that's a good idea actually isn't it yeah because like you say it's a lot to pull pull together for that for, for a voluntary group for that of particular core group yeah that did the first couple i mean they can still have like the big one each year if they want but yeah why not have sort of satellite events yeah you know whenever people like local organizers can get it together i think that's great so did you because you also did um why so sad mission in scotland so did you tie that in at the same time to that trip that was the same trip yeah i was back anyway just on personal trip i haven't been back for about three years yeah so me and philippa um and ivor saved up i don't know if we actually saved up or we just put it all on a credit card can't remember yeah don't want to remember <laughs> i'll remember when i look at the credit card statement I yeah uh, they're all it's all just meaningless numbers it's on a, all, yeah, it's on a computer screen it's all the constructs that doesn't actually mean anything that's, <laughs> that's why true. i always uh tell myself when i get the credit card bill yeah anyway. yeah there is a, a contract there though so i mean it is real debt, debt is a real agreement that we make it is real obviously yeah but so, um anyway no but try, we, we were not, back yeah we were back there not anyway. to get too stressed about it personally yeah, yeah. we were back there anyway um so headed over to that while i was there and then got back from that and then did the first leg of this year's fundraising mission yeah so do you want to explain for people listening who don't know what that is what 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 that is about um yeah so i did for three years since 2017 i've been fundraising at first just for the scottish association of mental health um and then this year it was for the scottish association of mental health grassroots suicide prevention in the southeast of england who are based i think around brighton area um and then i also raised money for the johns hopkins university there's a research group there yeah they do like the psychedelic research doing right? the research and yeah uses psychedelics to treat major depression addiction and trauma um, yeah really super interesting work yeah like really growing field isn't it that? yeah they just got um they just opened up a, a whole i think a whole new research facility and got like a millions of dollars worth of funding so yep. that stuff's all kind of kicking off again it's super hopeful yeah to hear about that um did that this year yeah and that was based because that all the fundraising i've been doing was on the back of my sister took her own life back in 2011 and so took a few years to get over that to the point or well you never really get over it but you know grieve through it to the point of like oh i want to do actually something about this and yeah that has just been hey have the conversation spread awareness that it's you know mental health is the same as physical health your brain and your emotions are not some esoteric non-physical thing it's all based on biology and it's chemistry as, it's and you, as legitimate it's, as physical yeah I, and there's there's actions and that you can take to work through things and heal yeah, the same a, as you can heal a broken leg. There's a really good line in your blog about which people have seen quite online about being lost in the dark with a map. Is yeah, uh, there, yeah, that's kind. Of, I don't know where I came up with that analogy, but it's a really like lovely means of expressing it, though, right? And it seems that the fundraising, the conversations, the the the, the stuff that you're doing is is about facilitating that, right? It's about basically trying to give contribute towards giving people the tools to, yes. to learn to cope with it right like whether that be talking about it or acknowledging it but also as you as you rightly say like saying to people there's actually things you can do here that, that are proactive and that will help right yeah i mean i believe for a lot of people anyway i can't say for anything any everyone and i'm not an i'm not an expert either it's a lot of it's based on personal experience of kind of working through pretty deep depressive episodes um and reading about it and getting the sense that the more we talk about it and the more you give people that knowledge that your depression doesn't come from nowhere it's not it feels like it does but you know when you you know think through your history um and from what i've read 
the depression and the anxiety that you experience as an adult is based on things that have happened, like concrete things that have happened to you that you can identify and then give yourself a break. As in what, like past traumatic episodes? Or? Yeah, a lot of it comes back from stuff that happened to you when your brain was still developing when you were a kid. Right. And that then, because it's not something I'm that familiar with. So um, what studies have shown that that is what leads to the the feelings and the depression that you might experience as an adult, basically. Yeah, which, I mean, it doesn't diminish the feelings you're actually feeling as an adult, but I feel, I think that knowing that they come from somewhere concrete yeah. gives you sort of a, an avenue to, to explore and to be able to, you know, recognize where things are coming from. And, and reconcile. Like I'm saying, kind of give yourself that break, <clears throat> ultimately. Well, another thing I read in one of your blogs was you talking about humans as like storytelling animals and like you know credulous animals like and you know the importance of like basically owning the story right that you tell yourself and and almost re-controlling that story in a way that enables you to move on if that makes sense yeah i think that's yeah re-controlling is what do you mean by that uh, well, maybe just controlling, you know, rather than like be pa not passive as well is the wrong word, but um, yeah, trying to change it. I yeah, guess. I, just, think just what, something I think that's that's kind of what we're getting at. Just something like, that fundamentally, you know, knowing where this. That's what I mean. No, okay. There's a couple of different things that there's three. There's three really important books that I've read over the last couple of years that have kind of helped me understand what's what's going on with depression and anxiety in in adults. One of them was Lost Connections by Johan Hari. The other was uh, Waking Up Alive by Richard Heckler. And the other was How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. Let's, uh, which one did I start with? Johan Hari. And he talks about the rise of depression and anxiety in, in developed nations over the last 50 years or whatever. Um, and he, he uh, puts it down to a few different contributing factors. Uh, one of, and one of which is the loss of social connections that we experience as a culture as we kind of like have moved around the world and um, become more insular and more online and less connected to our neighbors and we've basically evolved away from the original tribal systems that we that we uh, uh, if, evolved uh, in as a species. Yeah, you like, know? like more um, overtly human like one-to-one -one forms of yeah, contact so into like a disembodied like digital form yeah of, i guess yeah. the idea is the industrial revolution and the technical revolution that we've experienced has happened much quicker than we can evolve to keep up with as yeah. a species so there's an inherent like loss of social connections that we've experienced as a result and that in turn kind of catalyzes this exactly yeah catalyzes these feelings of disconnection from our yeah there's a, there's fellow the, humans in the world there's a line of argument that basically you know the two biggest communication revolutions in history like the Gutenberg press obviously the printed word and now the internet right and the Gutenberg press has taken however hun many hundreds of years for people to like get used to that way of exchanging knowledge and you know the fact that like suddenly people could get the bible like more easily than you know all that all that stuff like and then the internet's come around so quickly and like re-scrambled it so dramatically that yeah it's I guess it's a similar thing people are still in the very early stages of understanding like a what effect that has on you as an individual and just learning how to communicate in that new way right yeah and i think it's not just the internet it's before that it's like you know since post-world war ii cities have been built based on the ownership of uh, private automobiles where yeah. you're like enclosed in your car you get in your car in the morning you drive away you don't talk to your neighbors like you know that it's been kind of a an ongoing thing for a long time now that yeah. we've become more disconnected from our from our peers in our in our communities so he so, draws that link in this book like, yeah quite explicitly honestly and then it brings me back to skateboarding as as a as a community is we're kind of lucky because we've got an inbuilt community that we can leverage to 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 re-establish some of that stuff you know uh, yeah that's an interesting point yeah um the other one then the next one was the richard heckler book waking up alive that's uh heckler was a uh, I don't know, I think he still is, a counsellor and psychologist from the Bay Area. He wrote a book where he pulled together like multiple case studies on uh, clients that he'd had or patients that he'd had that had attempted suicide and failed 
to die and then come through it wow through counseling and gone on to lead like um great lives right you know um and so looking at all those different um cases he identified three common themes in every single case of somebody that's ended up going all the way down into what he refers to as the suicidal trance that leads you to um, have those thoughts and make that attempt. And those three things were, or those three factors were uh, either, you know, extreme family dysfunction, traumatic loss, and the sense of alienation, which we could all, which is also that kind of idea of loss of, loss of social connections. Sure. And just, that's kind of when I started to think like, okay, there's three concrete things that you can use for yourself to, if you, like, I don't know, I don't want to say what people should do or say what's the right thing to do. But if you don't have access to professional counseling or therapy, at least then that's three things that you can use to try and look at your own past Yeah. and be like, why do I feel so fucked up right, right now? And starting to have those do that sort of introspection and that investigation into yourself yeah. can help you get through what, where you're at currently. Yeah. I think, sure. I don't know. Um, like I said, I'm not a professional. Yeah. Yeah. But this is, this is like the work that you've done to try and understand what your own experience basically. Yeah. And what, so what was the, th what you said the third? Uh, the third one was how to change your mind by Michael Pollan. Michael Pollan's written a few books <laughs> over the years. Um, this one, he's an awesome old writer. Um, I say old, that's ageist, probably. <laughs> um, he's rad. He was interviewed by Tim Ferriss at South by Southwest. I saw him talk. I'd heard about his work a little bit before that, but was super interested to hear it. So he uh, he did The Botany of Desire and a couple other books. And then this is his research into the up uh, the research surgeons into that uh, Johns Hopkins work that we were talking about. Yeah, the, compounds the as kind of treatment for major depression. Microdosing. No, macrodosing, dude. <laughs> macrodosing. Yeah, don't mic no microdosing here. This is full on Terence McKenna macrodosing. Really? This is like therapy. Okay. In a single big experience to like called dissolve your ego and AKA stop the ruminating narrative that's constantly going in what they call the default mode network in your brain yeah the inner and allow yourself to be able to see what's been going on in your life and kind of do some rewiring um and the i and i will stress as well because i've listened to tim fresh a couple of times on this this is not a diy approach this is not go and take a bunch of acid in your kitchen <laughs> on any given saturday and think that you're going to solve all your problems this is clinical trials that are going on at johns hopkins in a professional setting, in a guided setting. Um, and I think Ferris had a really good analogy. He was like, you know, think of this in terms of if you had a paper cut, you might go and put a bandage on like a little bandage on it. This is more like open heart surgery. You're not going to do that in your kitchen on your own. Do it in a professional setting. And then, it, you know, that's when it can have proper therapeutic benefits. Have you explored that yourself? No, I'd like to. And what do those treatments look like? What, what, well, I'll, I'll, I'll be explicit. I don't know. They're still just in the university right now. And oh, right. So it's not, it's literally I don't think it's, I don't, yeah, it's literally just still research at this point. It was right. research that was going on in the fifties and sixties that was seeing some good, um, some good results. Harvard was a famous place. There was a few other areas around the United States. And I think in Europe, um, Aldous Huxley famously wrote about an experience he had in the doors of reception that was kind of like going uh, concurrent with some of the research that was going on back then. Um, and then if you've heard of Timothy Leary. I was going to say Timothy Leary. So is this because the ego loss thing that you mentioned earlier was obviously like a very strong message of that early LSD movement right in the 60s, which is very yeah, much pioneered. I think by... the problem was Timothy Leary and crew at Harvard kind of... Um, this is what is covered in, in Pollan's book. Um, they kind of went a bit overboard with it and kind of took it out of the research, you know, out, they were a bit, I think I wouldn't, I don't want to say they were irresponsible. They were in the kitchen. I, they, they took it out of the... Metaphorically doing open heart surgery in the collective kitchen, if you will. Yeah, I, yeah, they just, they went buck wild with it basically. Yeah, and yeah, it, yeah. Uh, 
it, it just it probably wasn't the right thing to do at the time. I think, sure. I think the Nixon administration just went in on the war on drugs at that point. Yeah. Everything got shut down, funding dried up, and then 40 years went by and... It's only now being yeah, kind of rehabilitated. 40 years it? went by and mental health as a field in medicine didn't really make any leaps or bounds at all. Sure. And going back to... Johan Hari's book Lost Connections the opening of that talks about where we're at with like selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors and all the kind of pharmaceuticals that they're currently at are that are supposed to treat these problems that don't we're not sure if they really do right so it's a really interesting field basically yeah yeah and all of this is why I'm fa- is, I'm fascinated because I've had my own experiences of depression my sister did too and it ultimately resulted in her losing her life yeah um so that's where i'm at and the question this year why so sad yeah is what i realized is the ultimate like least amount of words you can have to make a question that is the ultimate question that we need to answer for ourselves or to help our friends answer yeah it's like hey look inside yourself and there is a reason if you're feeling depressed there's a reason for it that you can figure out and kind of help defuse your current feelings so how long did it take you to get to the point where you could feel like that and like let's see 2011 my sister died 12 13 14 15 16 six years and was that basically how long it took to you know go through the kind of stages of grief to acceptance to understand yeah yeah i think so right yeah i know what you're getting at there's like i've read a little bit about that there's like the stages of grief that you go through that you don't know you know you don't logically go oh now i'm going through the acceptance stage or whatever but But yeah when you look at it in in hindsight you're like oh yeah i did go through you can recognize that yeah and so and and you've channeled this into there like the like these so you've been doing this for three years you said for three years at first honestly when my sister first died i did a full like 12 month installment comic that john horner illustrated and was published right. in thrasher and that was uh the subject of that was more like about me being a kid when our dad died so it was almost like 20 years later i was at that point when my what happened to my sister i was then just forced into actually like using a creative outlet to grieve for what happened to me and you know when my dad died when we were i was 13 and she was 10 right so that was an interesting thing in retrospect a couple of years later to look back and go oh that whole comic that's what was was kind of preempted by the grieving of my sister's passing or the shock of that but the subject matter was something that happened 20 years previous you know so it took you that like the, the subsequent work to understand that I think so. Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's why I can articulate it now. I yeah, yeah, at the sure. Time. Right. So you could look back at that and 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 start to get some answers. Yeah, but we're getting pretty deep pretty quick here. Is there anything more light light you want to talk about? Uh, how the sad <laughs> plants going? Ah, <laughs> uh, I, f- I. How's it's your? It's funny. It's funny. How- okay, when I was in Vancouver. There was a questions that came, like we did the talk. It explained similar stuff to what we just talked about right there. Yeah. Like, hey, here's what it's all about. Here's why I've been doing this work. Here's what happened. Here's what I've kind of learned. Um, and then one of the one of the kids in the... I couldn't see. It was dark. We were under spotlight or whatever. One of the kids is like, yo, this is a question for Radri. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God. Okay. What is it? And he's like, "Why? what's up with you telling us? that our sad plants are not sad enough. What kind of message are you sending? Because <laughs> I'd been like, because Lance had hit, Lance Mountain. So here's where the, the Why So Sad thing really started. I was in Copenhagen like two, three years ago, I think. And I was talking to the, the footwear designer from Nike. Um, and I was talking to him about the eggplant mission first one we did and i showed him like the picture of the eggplant i was like look it's pretty sick right pretty stoked on this and look check this sad plant i did and he was like is that a sad plant <laughs> i like, like i think so it's not a sad plant mate i think so yeah and he was like oh is it and i was like well you know who would know lance lance would know right so i texted the picture of what i thought was a sad plant to lance and i was like lance how's this sad plant uh, what was the verdict he just texted me back a picture of like someone from back in the day and i can't remember who it was because the, the picture got lost from my phone or whatever 
but it was someone doing the gnarliest, like, tweaked out, front leg fully locked, completely vertical sad plant on a vert ramp somewhere. And and I realized, like, oh, front leg. Yeah. Front leg has to be as straight as an arrow. Fully locked. Yeah. Locked. My front leg was still bent. So that's when I was like, well, Lance is tra- classically trained vert skater, gross, you know, gross. So all yeah, these yeah. guys are classically trained. They have, you know, if you're going to do it, you, it's need, to, be you very need to do it the way that they're doing it. Otherwise, it's not a sad plan. It's almost a sad plan. Yeah, yeah, right. But that's where that started. So then once the good egg had happened a couple of times, that was the first two fundraising missions. I was like, okay, we've done plenty of eggplants. Now what next? The sad plan made sense just because of the, the pun. Again, another pun. Why the was question it... why so sad. Yeah, but what, but possible, what, yeah. why the why the eggplant originally? Because the good egg is like a pun of like doing some philanthropy, basically. Okay, right, yeah, yeah. But the why so sad is much more direct because that's, yeah. you know, the question we need to answer for ourselves. Anyway, that's uh, that what? was it. Lance basically called me out and I was like, right, that's it. That's I'm going to do a proper sad plant, that's the mission. So I did one in Klatskanai, Oregon on the second mission we did this year. And from... The angle that we sent to Lance, the fisheye angle from the side, I sent it to him and he said it looks pretty good. Nice. But yeah, if okay. you really look at Scott Pommier's angle that is flat from the other side, you can see the one I landed. I don't even want to say it. <laughs> still, the, the photo that Ari shot is solid. <coughs> yeah, you're happy. And Wig shot a photo of one in Falkirk, Scotland that's solid. I saw that one, yeah. But the... But the the video footage is not quite there, but the one in Klatskanai is good. Yeah. And I now feel like given a good session, I could do a legit sad plant that Lance would be proud of. Nice. So what did you say to the kid? Oh, I told him, because he was like, what's up with that? And he said that. That's and the so second funny. part of his question is what advice would you give to people who, you know, are um, struggling with their mental health? Uh, what I said is actually on video. We can we could watch it right now. The video just went live from that panel. I'll put a link I up. I think what I said was something along the lines of, I told him about the Lance thing, and I got called out. And I'm yeah. not. It's, it doesn't come from a place of malice. It comes from a place of love. All that I want to do is make us all do the best sad plants we possibly can. Yeah. And uh, and in terms of you know what, how to think about our own mental health and our friends, it's yeah, just about hey. You can be direct with your friends, look out for them, and it's okay to have these conversations. And mental health is is a physical thing. Yeah. So, so that you talk about. You know, you mentioned the skateboarding community is a counterpoint to this lack of. I like to think that. Yeah. Yeah. So that and that, and that's a very sort of concerted part of this to basically really sort of remind people of that. Is we have a network inbuilt. You you know we have friends all over the world. Yeah. We have you know close friends that we've grown up skating with that. You know these conversations. There's a there's a hard way into it. Oh, that was the other thing. The point of the why so sad kind of whole campaign is to find a fun sort of light-hearted way into entry point into a tough subject. Yeah. As well. So it kind of like was that was there was two sides to to it. See, and you did the social kind of I'm going to say campaign, but you know whatever. Like you did the Instagram thing where you were you getting people to send them to you. Yeah, you can call it a campaign. Campaign's not a dirty word. Do want to overstate it? It's associated know? with marketing, but yeah, hey, we've, we've all done a bit of that. The marketing can this, be used for the power of good. We've all done a bit of that you know, in this room. That's what that's what the money makes the world go round. I yeah. suppose. Yeah, yeah, no. And this is used to make money to then fund pe- people doing good work. So yeah, that's, that's the idea of it. And how's the response? Uh, response has been good. Yeah, I want to keep it going. Yeah, we've got a video we just did. You and Bowman came on the the America leg of it, so Benji and filmed the scotland stuff and i put together an edit of that and then ewan came on the america one and he's put together a rad edit of that and that'll come out on thrasher on in january along with the real board that is sitting in that deluxe box over there yeah you got the boards yeah, yeah amazing pull it out but we're on the radio so i'm, I'm not shy of talking about things that people on there can't see but you so. can put it on the post it goes along with hold, the, hold you the board because <laughs> you have a post so I you can do put have a pic- post. You can put a picture of it on there. I yeah. do have a post. There we go. We're looking at the skateboard. Yeah, we go. It's getting all meta. Yeah. Um, well, and you we already have- got pretty deep, pretty meta. Yeah. That's there we go. And this is rad as well. The kid uh, that called me out in Vancouver, his photograph. He's is on there. Right here. On rad the, on the montage on the top top graphic. 
So I was pretty stoked because afterwards he came down, him and his buddy were chatting and we were laughing about it. And I was like, oh, let's check if you're on the, if you made it onto the montage. The, there he was. If you made the cut. Yeah. And he did so make the cut. Pretty stoked on that. And, and you've also been doing the bike missions as well, right? I mean, yeah, the bike mission's part of it. It's always been like, ride a hundred miles and do a trick. Right. Ah, okay. That's, so those, do the, that's as imaginative as I could get. Do, do the do the journey. Yeah. And then you do the journey, and then you do the trick. Yeah. Because when you when I first started it, the re, the other reason I started this fundraising thing is because all of a sudden there's like thirty five different apps you can use to that are tied into you know that do the fulfillment of all the the money raised and all that. Oh so yeah. It doesn't yeah. even hit my bank account. Go, it's go just like, some third part. It called just giving. Yeah. Go for me. Fund me. There's all these in. different ones. So. Yeah. Boom, you do it, you sit there and you do it and you're like, you you put your little campaign together. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I can't just ask for money for nothing. You got to do something. You got to do something. So I was like, I like riding my bike and I can skate. I'm going to trek to base camp. Can you sponsor me? Yeah, you can do, yeah, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a few so this was, I'm ride a, I'll ride how many miles? A hundred miles. Yeah, yeah. And what trick? A trick that allows me to create a pun yeah. in the campaign title. Yeah, it's it, work, it works you know? for me. Yeah. Are they going to be released? Can people buy them? Like how's They'll that be work? out in January, yeah. Okay. Mid-January, they'll be hitting shops. Yeah, okay. If the shops buy them, but yeah. hopefully they'll buy them. You talked know. a lot about um, Ben Ramers when you've been doing this as well. Yeah, so the Why So Sad one... Um, yeah, I sparked that off in June this year, and obviously Ben passed earlier in the year to everyone's shock. Yeah, I mean, it hit the community very very hard isn't it yeah so that was a big that's been a big part of this the money from the board this board will go to the, the foundation at least a big chunk of it will go to the Ramers foundation it's, uh, trying to figure out something to do with the money in north america i could give it to the 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 organizations we've already been fundraising for but the Ramers foundation is now set up so we'll give some of it to that i'd also like to do like a a specific event where we do some training like um, mental health first response training or assist suicide prevention training with community leaders in skating like some of the tms right know, maybe at whatever event where we can get a bunch of bunch of them together right and then it's it's good hopefully i mean that's that's the idea anyway instead of just showing up at the event and going to the after party and yeah drinking sure some beers hey let's sit for three hours and do a course that you can put on your resume and actually have some new skills to take back to to life and help some scares hopefully or people in general you know yeah um it seems like what happened with ben shocked people because it's unexpected and seemed like something that you know in retrospect if you could have helped him obviously go work through what he was obviously hiding quite um what's the word I'm looking for you know what well, people basically didn't understand how much he was going through and how much he was struggling um so is that one of the main reasons why you wanted to kind of raise awareness give people this platform to talk about it so that yeah. they, can, they can understand that you know that's important that step it's yeah it, that's just it's so hard like I don't have all the answers or and maybe not any answers I don't know the Ben thing, Ben kind of being who he was and pe nobody really seeing how much he was struggling is, is that's one of the main problems of all this. Well, it's, a, it's a really common story, right? And I think, I just hope that the more we talk about it and the more we're like, we have these kind of conversations and things like Why So Sad are out there, like with the the dialogue going of like hey everyone goes through this to a certain extent it's okay to talk about it it's not going to turn people away you can open up to people about this if you are thinking about suicide tell your friends you can get help and you can get through it here you know the more we put that out there the heckler book for example is really hopeful to me because that's m like multiple people that he's worked with that thought they were at just rock bottom and there was no way out there's some pretty gnarly stories in there of people that got real rock bottom yeah who came through got it together 
and got their lives going again. And it's, a, it's ultimately and it's like, a, a positive thing. No matter thing. how hopeless you feel, and yeah. depression will make you feel like you are done. It, it makes your brain lie to you. You know, no matter how hopeless you think things are, it's never as hopeless as you think. And that's something that you've learned to personally get your head around a bit more as you've got worked through done this work and like tried to understand yeah and i've been in that place a couple of times briefly thankfully never for too much of an extended period of time but when i was in my early 20s before deciding to be a pro skateboarder i ended up like in a pretty dark place and then yeah honestly a couple of years ago honestly i had a, my second midlife crisis i'd call it second it, yeah I don't know, hopefully, maybe that was my midlife crisis. If that was my midlife crisis a couple of years ago, then that's good. If that was the mid, it's, uh, then the mathematics and the arithmetic gives me solid, solid innings, as it were. And that wasn't quite as bad, but there were. There were moments of depression a couple, two or three years ago where it was flashing into my head. Right, you recognized you know? it. And why did you, what, what, what do you think pulled you out of that in the end? Maybe just that belief always deep in me that this is just fake. This is my brain being fake to me. Like being lucky enough to be able to rationalize it all the way through. Right. And be like, no, this is your brain being fake to you. Don't listen to that. Let it go. Having some semblance of mindfulness I've learned over the years by osmosis or default. Right. Um, probably lucky in that respect. When you say your brain talking to you, you're talking about, you, you used the word ego before and you used a phrase I wasn't familiar with, default mode, was it? Yeah, the default mode network is where they believe the ego ex ex you know, resides in the brain. It's where the sort of ongoing narrative that you hear in your head. Is that what you're referring to when you say your yeah, brain? Yeah, ego narrative is, is how um, Michael Pollan refers to it. I right. don't know where he, you know, what neuroscientists or psychologists he's kind of referencing in his research he obviously did a ton of research and then i'm just referencing yeah yeah him that's allowed <laughs> yeah but um right so yeah when but you that but that is the part of the brain that's suggested that these psychedelics kind of like suppress so they stop that kind of constant narrative going right I don't know. You, you, everyone mustn't recognize it in themselves. Oh, right? completely! Like I completely it goes, and it can either be positive or negative, and, and it can be more negative based on what happened to you when you were a childhood, when you were when you were a child. Everybody completely recognizes it. I think yeah. everybody recognizes when it um, it gets overbearing to a certain degree. Fuck yeah, you know, and you know, I think I've personally never experienced it to the levels that I've heard friends describe it as or yeah. but yeah everybody completely recognizes it and i mean it can be something as like trivial as a hangover right that like actually causes that voice to um to change and yeah. you feel like you're not in control of it but i often personally feel like this is why i kind of talked about the story thing that you mentioned before you know like that that we talked about earlier like being in control of the story that you're telling yourself right. almost exactly yeah if i feel like i'm in a mentally healthy place and i feel like i'm in control of that story and and what and then that gives me permission to act in a certain way if that makes sense and you don't feel in control of that then yeah that's obviously when you don't act that rationally sometimes or you, yeah i think that that's re that relates back the video that we made that I said you and did the yeah, yeah. the America um, leg of it. We'll drop that in January when the board comes out and all that. In that section of it, I talk about that time when I was like I came back from the states, like distraught and like hold up at my mom's house. This is when you were younger. Yeah, when I was about twenty one, twenty two, or something. The, just after the first uni, just after university, yeah. before I'd fully decided to pursue a career as a pro skater yeah um there's then i, I realized i talked about the, the the reason i got through that was because i got back to my mom's house and i had like space and you know a safe place to hole up and get through it and work your way if, through if it if i was going through that and didn't have anywhere to go like was homeless or you know was in going back into a, an environment where there was abusive 
family or you know or whatever didn't like, have the support network be, you know i can see exactly why people just get pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed yeah to the point of no return yeah it's so that's that's what i mean like sometimes it's it's a, it seems hopeless you just hope that most people or as many people as possible can find a safe place but yeah there is always going to be people that don't that can't i think about myself it's like oh i had a an alcoholic dad that we never knew what was going to come through the door when we were kids you know but then it, and then he died when i was 13 and katrina was 10 um after like just chaos childhood and then i'm like but i was one of the lucky ones yeah because i actually had like a completely supportive and solid stable like network of family and friends around me that were all well-adjusted adults lots of people don't have all that yeah they just have chaos yeah so and that voice yeah and then that's where you end up growing up and the voice in your head is the chaos yeah one not you know i have plenty of stability in my head to to counterbalance the chaos yeah know, so sounds like those two episodes yeah. like transitional periods maybe you know you're saying like between yeah, university yeah, and yeah, pro skateboarding sure. and i'm guessing maybe the the second one like the end of the skateboarding career and what you can do next kind of thing yeah yeah that's that's pretty accurate i think i would say yeah looking back at it i'm still going through the life after skateboarding thing to be honest skateboarding as a pro career it doesn't set you up for post emotional success post skateboarding i wouldn't say how do you well as in there's no support uh how do you mean how would by I that? Describe that? Yeah, it's a, a pretty specific way of putting it. I would say that maybe for me personally, I came out and I I worked for New Balance and I worked for Nike now and maybe in the corporate office environment. There's a lot of skills that you might have learned in your twenties coming up through that. that yeah. Life on the road in a van on tour, <laughs> interacting with kids at demos and skate doesn't, shops. Doesn't perhaps prepare working for working with brands on like video deadlines and editorial, and working with mags and on your own schedule. Completely on your own schedule, doesn't set you up for. It. Yeah, but I don't know. I'm a fast learner. <laughs> so well, yeah, right. but but also you kind of like go. For, I I've not been in your position, obviously, but from friends that have been in that similar position it's quite quick it seems from being like having a particular setup and then that not being there and then you know being a bit like right what do i do now kind of thing it can be i think I, if i look back at it for me it was it was gradual enough i had knee surgery you know like full acl reconstruction when i was 26 so going through that you go through rehab and you go through physio and you actually get quite professional about how you approach your career because you're like fuck don't want to do that again <laughs> yeah so right. you know you get physically fit <coughs> and you realize like you have to have some res you have responsibilities how long um, does that take out of interest to recover from that it's oh, like a year like or six to six months to a year okay you but know? you get quite functional about it like okay deal with that like yeah, and you're going, you're doing your rehab, you're doing your physio, you're taking it serious. I mean, I was learning all about anatomy. And then and then in that environment of, of rehab, I was thinking like, okay, this could happen again. And I'm going to be 30 and the kids will be 18. You know, Shane O'Neill will be there <laughs> yeah, or whatever. And I'll be like having to do something. So I was kind of thinking about it fairly early. Okay, it was in your mind a little bit. I was yeah. like, oh, I should probably do something else. And then I started, I studied HTML, I studied or HTML and CSS, and then, like, did module on design for the social web. I did a biology course because I called up King's College in the United Kingdom about being a physiotherapist because you get all hyped on physiotherapy when you're doing sports rehab. Yeah. Everyone's there to improve. Yeah, sure. Um, and yeah. then you realize, ah, oh, but then you'd have to do, like, osteop or, um, you know, it's not all sports physio. It's, yeah. There's a lot of, like, rehabbing car crashes, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Um, there's a reality to every job. Yeah, that's perhaps not the initial. Um, but yeah, I, I was thinking about the the life after skateboarding for a long time. I was always doing editorial work for mags, or like doing my own video projects, and, and did my own little branding project, and did the whole like top to bottom um, business process of that. So 
I was always kind of thinking about it, but I think that I'm, I don't know that I'm the exception or the rule when it comes to skaters. So how's it now? You can, you know, reconciled to it? Oh, yeah. I have no choice. <laughs> well, yeah, but doesn't mean that it's um, easy. No, I'm I'm reconciled to it. I'm getting I'm I'm getting on with things. I'm yeah, good. Office, you, office work. Yeah, so you're good. working for Nike. Yeah. What are you doing? Uh, if you look on my LinkedIn profile, you can <laughs> see that I'm a strategic planning. Manager. I will be. I will be befriending you on LinkedIn <laughs> straight after this. Now I do strategy with Nike SB. Work with the general manager and then all the the different um, people that run the functions at the at the company there, like and just help things keep running. Yeah, and is Portland home now? Portland's home. Yeah, you've been here what ten. Philippa just said actually. Uh, I'm Portland. I mean, Ivers six. So we've been. That means we've been here seven and a bit years. Yeah, weather reminds you of home. Yeah, I, I, it does. Weather here is, um, much much better. I think we got pretty lucky this week. It's been pretty nice. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Like, yeah, everyone's been saying, you know, oh, brought the weather with you. And w- and winter here is like uh, it rains a fair bit then it's but then it's really nice for a spell and then it'll like storms will blow through and then it'll be amazing and chilly but the beautiful blue skies yeah as opposed to glasgow where it seems like it's just dark and slight october rolls in and then it's just biblical darkness for literally six months yeah i mean it's a pretty nice you know aspects this city there's a lot oh, going on and riding your bike here is about maybe maybe one million times mellower and better than riding in scotland yeah that was something that was this summer because we did the glasgow to edinburgh bike mission which was rad with like all, all my old friends from from uh the scottish skate scene oh amazing and then but it was probably just the route glasgow to edinburgh like between the two major cities in scotland yeah it's not going to be the raddest kind of mellowest ride yeah sure as opposed to the northwest here where we took the train away out of town and rode up through the forest to central or you know or northern oregon like that was really nice yeah yeah we and, went then, down. and then there was an undercover like perfect miniature vert ramp right it wasn't that in scotland <laughs> yeah we went down the coast yesterday and it was it's pretty nice gotta say so do you reckon you could see yourself moving back home or uh we think about that all the time i did just start applying for my second green card yesterday. okay right and i keep thinking should i get citizenship um we'll, we'll you, you don't have citizenship no i just like you can probably help you with that though right i don't know yeah i don't like to make to be so presumptuous <laughs> surely they've got a person that deals with that maybe yeah. i don't know nice well thanks for letting me come around and Chat to you about that. It's all right. How was it? Was it all right? Yeah. That's you want to just talk about all that stuff. Just that. Yeah. Well, we can talk about more. What else you want to talk about? I don't know. I just wondered what was in your head when you were thinking about it. I was just seeing where it went, really. All right. Yeah. Um, I kind of thought I unfolded quite nicely. Yeah, it's everything that's going on right now, at least. Yeah. I mean, we could talk about old stuff if you want. I mean, it's up to you, really. We could do ten minutes on. Because I'm, I'm interested. I was thinking about Shire. I was thinking about Blueprint. I was thinking about all that stuff. I mean, people would definitely like to hear about that. What have you been thinking about that? Because people are always like, oh, why do you leave Blueprint? Why did you leave Blueprint? <laughs> For the money. For the money. No, I don't know. It seemed like... And I always wanted to try the States thing. Yeah, I mean, you basically did a bit of a leap, didn't you? You know, it seemed like... Cause when when was that era the blueprint panic like mid to late 90s are we talking about yeah 90 i want to say 97 to 99 to, or, or 2000 or so and what and you consciously thought like i, I fancy seeing a fucking i mean it's the no it was always in the back of my head but then the opportunity came up because i got on circa with jamie and they were always like when you're gonna write for zero and i was thought that's ridiculous all are like into the misfits yeah did you 
did, did you, you actually thought like no that what when you say that's ridiculous isn't like that that couldn't be me kind both of thing. it was like that couldn't be me and also like zero and me that was sort of an interesting thing you were surprised then when he sort of yeah yeah what, what do you think he saw in you then to and what were you not I seeing i have no idea I still have no idea. Right. But when it, it was when Lopez kept asking me. Right. That I was like, ah, oh, well, I like Lopez too. That's you, interesting. And then when there was two people asking, it was like, there's, more, there's something to it. You make it sound like as if it just sort of happened to you though. Surely there was a bit more calculation on your part to that. Because you, you did after all come over here and put the work in. Yeah, but I came over here originally um, on the strength of I had been getting a check from Panic and then Blueprint, so that subsidized my college time in the uni in university in Glasgow. Yeah, this is when you were so still. So that meant that I had a grant to pay for university as well as student loans, and I had one more student loan to take. Like that I was entitled to. Right. And you got a grant. That's, that's I got a grant and a student loan that when was were really you at low interest. When were you at university? 1996 to 99, basically. Nine, it was 1995 to 1999. Don't get grants anymore, dear. That's gone. Who did Who got? Who did away with that? <laughs> well, yeah, one of, one of that lot. Right. Was it, was it one of the conservatives? I imagine so. I've been hearing about them lately. Yeah, they're, they're in the news a lot back home. You're not missing much. Uh -huh. Although you got your own, got your own problems over it. No, but I, I, I was okay at university. I, you know, and then like I had this last student loan to take, and I was like, oh, I'm pretty flush because I've been getting paid by right. enough by this little brand in the UK to get by. Right. So I used that to go to the states on like essentially a gap summer call it a, it wasn't a gap year it was a gap summer and what we trying to we tried i wasn't trying to do anything i was trying to like just we, go skating. we had so much fun we bought a van in vancouver me and a bunch of friends from scotland yeah um linked up with some friends from vancouver that was just random skate connection because they'd got cheap tickets to come and visit glasgow and they were going to sleep under a bridge and I, I saw them in calvin grove park and i was like where are you going and they were like, oh, we're going to sleep under this bridge. Right. Like, no, 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 come. We're going to watch the Element video over here at my friend Gary's house. Right, right. And it's funny. One thing led to another. And then we went out and visited them and did a road trip. There was no real calculation at all in any of that. Right. It was just. I got to San Francisco and Ewan was living there working at Noah's Bagels and filming for 10 bucks a clip for four on one with a TRV 900 or whatever he had. And So that's where that came from. Yeah, he was like, you need to film a fucking part while you're here, man. Yeah. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, film, film a pro pro tip. No, whatever it was. Uh, yeah, yeah. Not a pro tip. Uh, uh, it was a rookies. He was like, film a rookies, man. This is the old Killer Bees, right? We got the Killer Bees at Marshall's Dress for Less, or Ross Dress for Less or something in Huntington Beach. Yeah. Filmed that. Shot an interview in Slap then went back to the sr trade show and that's when like i had my first proper mental breakdown right so so why 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 do you think given that you've looked back at all this obviously in quite some detail what was it about that situation that you're in you think that led to that because it sounds pretty positive yeah that's the thing about I mean, depression and anxiety on the surface things do seem positive yeah but somehow your brain tells you it's not just you like uh, conspiracy theories it all the way out to like, you know, some crazy place. I don't know. So this is why when you went home and you were describing earlier, got your, you know, back to your mums, you said. and Yeah, yeah. And then I had that space to, to sort it out. So. Right. But you made the decision to like, I'm going to head back and take this opportunity basically eventually after my sister got me out of my room and took me to the doctor to get on fluoxetine right which has always been a thing in my head of like she was the one that took me to the doctor at that point right and then i moved away and i was not there for her right so not that I, I mean there's i can't feel guilty about that i 
followed my path. And yeah, I don't think you should feel guilty about it. I mean, it was always just an ironic thing that I have in my head of like, damn it, I wish I could have been in, like there for her. In hindsight, I heard the warning signs in some of the stuff she was saying. Right. Where she was like, I'm sick and tired of struggling. like, And, and I'm like, only in hindsight do you hear those words in your memory and you're like, ah, damn it. They take on added yeah. significance. So when you look back at those skate years, now, what do you think? I mean, that's well, a dickish thing think? to say anyway because you're still skating, obviously, but you know what I mean, that period that you're talking about. Like, what do you... I think the seahorses track that McGee picked for the blueprint video was good. <laughs> I'm still not sure about sea 500 horses. miles. By, you're still uh, back in seahorses. What's that? You're still back in seahorses. That sea track's horses. okay. <laughs> uh, 500 miles I'm, ne- I'm still not sure about. That was Skin's idea. Really? Um, yeah. We've got the Scottish guy. Let's put... <laughs> Bill Mackay was... I liked that because I picked that. And then the Cold War part I had that was uh, Smog... I like that. Which track that. was that? I don't remember it's that called one. Called No Dancing. By yeah. Smog off Knock Knock, and then there was a part in Strange World which wasn't really a part because I got hurt and then just had to be in a montage. So I was kind of bummed on that. Right. So and generally the choices you're happy with. And then in the promo in 2006 that nobody ever saw, I did a five four eight that Danny Way told me was solid. So those are my highlights from my skate career. Take that one, and then the the sad plan thumbs up from Lance. Yeah. Even though we sent him the angle that was a bit like, we didn't send him both angles. We just so you sent him the we sent him the angle where it's it was the fake it news. Looked, it looked good. The fake news angle. Fake news yeah. angle, exactly. Yeah. Still time though. Still time. So there you go. That was me and John, and I hope you got as much out of that conversation as I did. I decided to leave that little exchange at the end in because it made me laugh, and also. I'm talking about the bit where he was like, you're not going to ask me about the skateboarding then. I mean, it goes some way to demonstrating the way I approach these interviews. I just thought people might be interested in really. Something I chatted about in the Charlie Dark interview many moons ago, actually. It's about finding your angle when interviewing somebody who's done a lot of press and who's really well known. And um, it's about balancing what you think they're going to respond to with what you know the audience is going to want to talk about or hear us talk about. And then that's also compounded by my own desire to have a natural and free-flowing conversation that isn't too obviously agenda-driven by me, as in I've got a list of things I want to tick off. I mean, obviously, if it goes in that direction, then I'll happily do that. But yeah, you know, you try and balance these things is what I'm saying. And I just thought that exchange at the end was funny because that was what was going on there, really. Me trying to judge that. Um, At the time, after that conversation, I really couldn't see a way of saying... So tell me about Zero that just didn't seem totally tactless and crowbarred in. So when John brought it up like that, gave me the perfect get out clause, capped the whole conversation off nicely. And uh, like I said at the beginning, I just thought it was funny. So yeah, I want to thank John for his trust, openness and honesty when it came to that conversation, discussing those issues. Like I mentioned in the introduction, if you have been affected by any of those issues discussed, I'm going to put some links to organisations mentioned by John and other organisations that might be able to help in my show notes over at my website. Incidentally, if it's your first time listening, like I say, you'll find show notes to this and every every episode over at www.wearelookingsideways.com. And you'll also find the back catalogue featuring interviews with the skateboarders such as Carabeth Burnside, Jamie Thomas, Steve Douglas, Nick Jensen, Tim Layton, Boyce and more. So go and have a listen. Plenty there to get stuck into if you enjoyed this one. On the housekeeping corner tip, just going to say what I said last week about the newsletter actually. You can sign up at the website for that. Um, If you do, you'll get one weekly email from me. You'll be joining thousands of listeners in receiving that. It's my five things email in which I list the five things I thought were worth sharing each week. You'll need to sign up via the link on the website for that and then opt in through the email you receive after that. Check your spam and junk mail for that one. It's pertinent at the minute because as I mentioned last week, I'm going to be sending out links to a couple of secret bonus episodes in the next week or so. And you're only going to be able to hear those if you sign up to the newsletter. So get to it. That's it for this week. It's Christmas. Um, I just did actually record my Christmas special. 
with my friends Tim and Gendel, who are my annual Christmas guests. And a lot of fun that was. Um, actually ended up ticking off that classic podcast trope of getting drunk while doing an episode. Um, not actually done that before. I actually find drinking doing these really stressful um, because, you know, when you're pissed, you can't really concentrate as well as you can when you're sober. And I usually need to concentrate doing these. But, you know, they're my mates, them too. I turned up, they thrust a couple of beers in my hand and, uh, yeah, by the end of it, we were pretty shit-faced, really. I th- all the better for it. Um, that one will be coming out on Christmas Day, as usual, and is a right old load of uh, festive waffle. So, uh, yeah, subscribe if you're not already, if you want to check that one out. Um, my thanks to Travel Portland, Hertz, Kex Portland and Black Diamond PR for their help setting this one up and for the help with the rest of the Portland episodes and the trip as a whole. Couldn't have done it without them, so thank you. I'll be back next week with another one. Nice one. <laughs>